boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Welcome, everyone, to our first official episode of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to us. My name is Scott Shelton, and today I'm here with my regular co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, we're going to cover a lot of ground today, including talking about two recent releases in Molly's Game and I, Tanya. But before we get to any of that, Scott, how are you doing? I am doing great, Scott. I'm actually riding pretty high right now um, because... Uh, just to give a quick plug, um, a few me, me and uh, four of my friends from, uh, from Wake Forest Law School, where I uh, currently go, um, we, uh, we, we competed this weekend in a uh, mock trial competition, um, the Kilpatrick Townsend mock trial competition up at UNC in Chapel Hill. And uh, out of 28 teams um, from all of the law schools in North Carolina, um, we somehow managed to... Uh, to come away as the winners, and we got a nice trophy and some some individual awards. So, uh, so it was it was pretty uh, pretty gratifying to uh, to be able to to take that home, bring well, I, it home for Wake Forest. Yeah, congratulations! That sounds like a very busy weekend as you return home and immediately jump on the podcast with me. So that's uh, you yeah, might... you know, the grind never stops. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And but like you said, riding high makes it a little bit a little bit better, probably. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got two. No, no spoilers, but we've got two movies that I, I'm a fan of, so I'm excited to talk about them with you tonight. All right. Well, I think that that's a great place to start. Let's let's get going. And where better to start than Molly's Game, starring Jessica Chastain in the leading role, alongside Idris Elba, Kevin Costner, Michael Sarah, and a few others that we might mention. You probably already know this, but Molly's Game had a little bit of a strange release schedule. It debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival in September it then had a limited release at select theaters across the U.S. on Christmas Day before finally opening to a wider audience earlier this month on January 5th. The good news for Aaron Sorkin as a director, since it was his directorial debut, debut is that the film already made back its $30 million budget. Some other quick facts about it include that it really was based on the true story of Molly Bloom and the book that she wrote about her experience running poker games, which to me sounds pretty cool. It clocks in at around 2 hours and 20 minutes, which is a little on the long side, but I'm sure we'll talk in a few minutes about the movie's length and pacing. But before any of that, I'd love to just get your general impressions on the film. What did you think of Aaron Sorkin's debut as a director? Well, you know, I think I mentioned on last week's show that I'm kind of a homer when it comes to Aaron Sorkin. I mean, I love everything he's done. Uh, West Wing is my favorite TV show. Um, Few Good Men is probably my favorite movie um, of all time. Uh, so obviously, I was really excited when I heard that he was going to, you know, be making uh, making his directorial debut with this movie. Um, and you know, when I saw the trailer, it only increased my excitement because this is, I mean, it's an, it's an incredible story. I think you know whether you whether or not you get drawn in by Aaron Sorkin's telling of the story, I think it, it's it's a pretty amazing story either way. But, you know Molly Bloom, who was this Olympic level skier. Um, you know, as as you said, she she gotten an accident, got injured, and really decided to to go in a different direction with her life. Um, and 
ended up working for um, a man um, who who plays in this high stakes poker game, and through that relationship, she's drawn into the world of of high stakes poker games in Hollywood and then later in New York um, with like tons of celebrities um, who uh, many of them aren't named in the movie. Actually, none of them are named in the movie, but. Um, I have. I don't know if you've been reading any articles about the speculation on some who, uh, who some of them are, but maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I I was I really enjoyed this movie. Um, you know, I, it hasn't gotten it hasn't gotten rave reviews, um, which I think you know people some people Smirkin you kind of take him or leave him. I think you know he has a very specific style. Um, obviously, the walk and talk is his big thing. Um, all of his movies are just really really dialogue based dialogue heavy you know they don't, like I, I like to say that the, the action scenes are really the dialogue scenes because of the, just the way that Sorkin writes dialogue with the fast pace really like witty banter and everything um, so you know stretched over a two hour and 20 minute um, time period I could see how you know maybe Sorkin's dialogue could start to weigh on you after a little bit just the incessant walking and talking but I thought that he did a good job of, of balancing you know, you know, he didn't go over the top with his style. Like he, he knew when to dial it back. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I mean, really, what drove the movie for me was the story, um, and obviously the dialogue is great. I don't think it's maybe at Sorkin uh, the best that Sorkin can do. Um, I think maybe it's not as meaningful as some of the other stuff that he's done, especially you know certain episodes of The West Wing. Um, but I think it's a great story, and I think Sorkin tells it very well, and they're great performances, too. Yeah, I, I agree with the vast majority of what you just said. I, too, you know this, I, too, am a huge fan of Aaron Sorkin. I'll watch just about anything that he writes and now directs. And yeah, we I, even enjoyed The Newsroom back in the day, which was like one of his least well-reviewed um, projects, I think, in his career, honestly. But, I mean, we were both big fans of it, I know, back in the day. Absolutely. I remember the the first two seasons especially, I, I'm still a huge fan of. I try to get people to watch that pretty often. I'll, I'll share that with them. Most of them haven't heard of it. But uh, I say that it's from the writer of the of the West Wing, and they'll, and they'll oblige me and, and usually check yeah. out a couple episodes. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but back to my point about, um, about Aaron Sorkin. I'll watch just about anything. I, I remember texting you when I first saw the trailer for this film <laughs> and freaking out about it. And that was definitely, my, my hype going into it was pretty high. Yeah. And I agree with you that it isn't Aaron Sorkin's best writing, but his style is there. At the same time, I agree with you also that he did dial it back at certain points. Whether you're, whether you're a fan of him dialing it back, I think some people will be. And for me, I actually was a little disappointed when he did dial it back sometimes, because yeah. I also... Strangely, I thought there were some of the points where he did dial it back were moments where he really could have leaned into it more, as opposed yeah. to other other times. Well, I think that one of the criticisms that gets lobbed at his dialogue a lot of times is that you know the the argument that real people don't actually talk like that, which you know I I mean obviously there's definitely an argument to be made there, but I mean in some in some ways movies are about wish fulfillment, and I think a lot of us you know why people get so connected to Aaron Sorkin and his dialogue um, is because we wish people would talk like that. You know, it's just, right. it's really cool and, and funny to listen to these people talk sometimes. Um, so I think, you know, I understand the criticism, but I also think, you know, lay your hair down a little bit. Absolutely. And I, and I think that 
what my the biggest plus for me about this film far and away in my perspective is the pacing so we mentioned the two hour 20 minute runtime yeah this is the first movie and honestly i cannot remember the last time this happened where i did not once look at my watch during i was about to say i think maybe i looked at my watch once but that's just because you know that i feel i feel very strongly about movies with long running times absolutely Um, yeah yeah but I mean, I was I was fully engaged the entire time. I was really because I, I didn't. I mean, you know, I knew it was a true story, but I didn't know very much about the true story. So I was just interested to see where it was going to go next. And I like what he did with the sort of parallel narratives in this movie. Um, it actually reminded me of um, a movie that another movie that Sorkin wrote um, back in 2011. That being The Social Network. Yep. Um, the way that that movie balanced the narrative of. Mark Zuckerberg at his deposition, basically when the Winklevoss twins are suing him um, for copying Facebook, um, and then the backstory of um, you know how how he came to invent Facebook, um, if you believe that he did invent it. Um, but Molly's Game kind of does the same thing because you have the you know you have the present time structure of where where Idris Elba and um, and Molly are working on their defense for you know Molly's case against. Uh, against the United States and um, well her defense well, while, yeah yeah, while, yeah her defense against the United States but while you also have the backstory of how she came to you know be run these poker games and eventually you know start taking a rake and, and what led to her getting arrested right so and I thought I thought that was you know really interesting maybe maybe he, he was thinking about the social network I mean he probably was to be honest when he when he thought about how to structure this movie from a narrative perspective but I think it works well I, I yeah, it works really well for me. I think that that core kind of structure of the film is what made it so easy to become absorbed in the back and forth. I haven't yeah. always been a fan of that format. Sometimes I feel it really takes you out of the moment. But with this yeah. film, I never thought that that was the case. And he really broke up his sharp, witty dialogue uh, in different scenes and gave you a little bit of a rest going from one scene to another in the right moments, which is not something that movies that I think adopt that format do very well. At the same time, though, I think that one thing that he does do well as a director, um, you know, this being his directorial debut, was he he didn't stay out of the way of his dialogue for the most part. This is not a really showy movie from a director's perspective. I mean, I wasn't, you know... I, I didn't. There, there weren't times in the movie really where I thought, "Oh, that's a really nice flir- directorial flourish." I think he's just—it's it, kind of a uh, workmanlike uh, directing job. But he knows that the star of the show is really the script, and he he lets that shine. Yeah, and I, and I really appreciated that. And I and I think in terms of you know talking about stars in this movie, I think this is a good time to shift and talk about that leading role, Molly Bloom as yes. Jessica Chastain. What did you think of Jessica Chastain's performance in this movie? Well, we talked a little last week about how, uh, you know, Best Actress is an absolutely loaded category this year between Frances McDormand, Margot Robbie, Saoirse Ronan. Mm-hmm. But I think Jessica Chastain firmly belongs in that conversation. Um, you know, if not, if she's, if it's maybe not the most um, performance that grabs you the most out of those, um, I think it's, it is really strong. Um, and you know, when she, when she sinks her teeth into a role, Jessica Chastain, I mean, I'm thinking back to Zero Dark Thirty, um, right. there's, there are a few who can really do it like she can. Um, and I think just, like, the confidence which she brings to this role, um, you know, and, like, I was thinking about this movie, and I was like, 
what actress would not want to play this part? Because, I mean, Aaron Sorkin makes Molly look like the coolest person in the world at, at certain parts of this movie, you know, when she's wearing these, like, fancy clothes. And, I mean, she's just totally in control in some of these scenes when she... Um, when she is running her poker games, like when, when she's at her peak with the running of the poker games, Absolutely. she's just totally in control. So I thought, um, you know, it is, it is a, uh, actress's dream role in, in some, uh, in some aspects, but I thought Jessica Chastain handled it really well. Yeah. To that point about her being completely in control, it's so great. And, and part of it is definitely her acting. Part of it is Aaron Sorkin's script and, and direction, but she really, like over the course of them, you see her build in confidence, build in, in aura in the film, if, if that makes yeah. sense. And Aaron Sorkin really lets her go at it in a couple of the scenes where she's talking with players, uh, po- the poker players who are attending her her games, and yes. trying, I mean, and flirting with her, trying, you know, confessing, yes. confessing their love to her. And and she does such a good. Jo- Those are her best scenes, easily her best scenes for me. I didn't love her throughout the film. I, I thought so she too. had weak moments. But overall, like, she was so strong in those scenes in particular. Yes, I agree. Right, so moving on to an, the other, really the only other main, what I would call my main role, and you could even argue this yes. is a supporting role, uh, Idris Elba as as Molly Bloom's attorney, Charlie Jaffe. I'd love to hear, you know, I'm a huge fan, I'll show my cards here, I'm a huge fan of Idris Elba. I, I mean, I won't, I won't say that I'll watch anything he's in because I didn't watch The Mountain Between Us <laughs> from last year, but I, I really love him in the movies that I've seen him in, particularly, you know, just on the top of my mind because I've been watching the Marvel movies as Heimdall in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think he does a great job. But right, what did yeah. you think of Idris Elba's performance here? Because he, he was in a lot of scenes. He didn't necessarily have a lot of dialogue, but the scenes that yeah. he was given a role in, he, he really stepped up, I thought. Yeah, I thought uh, it was a very solid performance. Solid is the word I would use because he's not really asked to do anything exceptional with this role, um, but he does it very well. He just, you know, yeah. there's not a lot of backstory for this character. um, Right. He has his daughter, but that's about it. I like the scenes with him and his daughter, the way he interacted with her. I thought he did a good job at that. Agreed. But although I say it's not an exceptional role there is one scene however where he's asked to do a lot more and that is of course the scene where molly is being deposed and he goes on this incredible uh rant yes. for about four or five minutes sorkin broken dialogue very sorkin-esque um, there yeah yeah it it reminded me so much of the scene in a few good men and if you've ever seen the movie you know exactly what i'm about to talk about absolutely at the end of the movie um when tom cruise at when Markinson has killed himself and Tom Cruise has gone out and gotten drunk because he thinks that, you know, the case is lost now. Spoilers, and, spoilers there, although we are 20, 20 years removed from that. <laughs> yeah, that came out in 1992, I think. I think yeah. we're good at this yep. point. But, yep. um, but, and then he comes back to the apartment and just goes on this unbelievable rant uh, talking about how he's going to end up teaching typewriter maintenance at the Rocco Globo School for Women. Um, and it, it reminded me of that. I, I, can't, I can't remember, like really any of the the standout lines um in Idris Elba's like rant that he goes on during this scene but like I just remember being totally like I was loving it I could have listened to it for five or six more minutes so I thought I I really enjoyed seeing him cut loose in that scene agreed he's he's not gonna I mean he shouldn't get any any awards nominations for that role but he did he did what he was asked to do he did well in the scenes that he was asked to do more in just like you described and you know, I was I was pleased with his performance personally. 
yeah, I, I, I think it's really interesting, too, the way his character transforms over the movie from being really skeptical about Molly, I mean, not even wanting to take her case full-time, yeah. to, to, at the end of the movie, I mean, g- going so hardcore defending her, like in that one scene that I just mentioned. I mean, his rant is all about how he, how ridiculous he thinks it is, basically, that Molly is being prosecuted for what she's being prosecuted for. Right. I, I think that's I think that's actually an, a nice a nice point that you make. I and I want to talk about something tangential to that, which is his role early on. One of the problems that I had with this film is that I I had to suspend my disbelief that this character would actually end up taking on Molly's case in the courtroom. There like you said, there's no real backstory for yes. you get some of the backstory later with his daughter and how she right. plays a role in that decision. But I didn't. I didn't. That like that didn't logically connect to me in terms of like the narrative of the story, and yeah. kind of the explanation given to it later didn't really resonate with me either. But that was just my perspective. Yeah. I think that's. I think that's a fair criticism. I mean, I think it is probably slightly underdeveloped character, um, but you know, I I bought it for the most part. Sure, sure, and and you know, Aaron Sorkin really expended his directorial and, and, and you know writer resources on Molly's character as as he should have done. As yeah. he should have done. Absolutely. Yeah, so so there's some other supporting roles in this film worth talking about. You mentioned earlier the poker players that are playing at Molly's game Molly's games, I should say. She has a lot of them. And I would like to talk about Michael Sarah, uh, yes. who's player X in this film, who which who you might have been referring to about like the actors in theory that that yes. are playing this game and we'll touch on that. As well as one performance that I particularly liked it's not for very long in the film, but Harlan's Harlan Eustace, uh, who is the name of the character, the made-up name yes. of the character, who's played by Bill Camp. Right, uh, I from would the night of from the I night of. I recognize him from something. Yeah, that, that's what I recognize him from uh, uh-huh. the night of. So maybe we'll talk more probably about Michael Sarah and Player X than than Harlan slash Bill Camp. So why don't we start with uh, with with Bill Camp and then we'll switch over to Player X. Yeah, I thought it was a good performance. Like I thought he he really established who this character was uh from the very beginning and the way that he he, the the downfall that this character goes through in such a short amount of time in this movie um it's 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 a great bit of foreshadowing by sorkin um just kind of as as the first warning sign that molly um gets of well maybe you know this isn't going to work out down the future because all these people can't afford to pay out and you know obviously she ends up having issues with that and that's what even leads to her getting arrested so i thought that um that his character served a very particular purpose in the movie um but i thought he definitely left a lasting mark with his performance it was a a memorable if brief uh, appearance right it it almost reminds me i'm not saying he's gonna get any sort of nominations for his his role here but it reminds me of anna hathaway's like five minutes (laughs) <laughs> no. In Les Mis. In yeah. Les Mis, right. And get, I wish he had broken out the song at some point. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I just thought we don't have to dwell on, on Bill Camp's performance very long. Yeah. But I thought it was worth noting because it was very memorable for me. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't realize that he was from the night of when I was watching it, but I knew I recognized him from somewhere. And then afterwards, I, I looked it up, um, which that's not a show that I've watched all of. But I mean, I still remember him distinctly when I saw that, you know, he had been in that show. I was like, of course, yes. I think he's an actor who definitely. Um, he leaves a mark in whatever project he does. Absolutely. So now let's switch over to Player X, which is which is, who is played by Michael Sarah in this in this film. And yes. the, the you've probably done more research than I have because I only spent a little bit of time looking right. into this. 
But my understanding is that Player X is supposed to represent an amalgam of a bunch of different celebrities who may or may not have been a part of Molly's games. Uh, yeah, I'll so let you talk my, a little bit more about my, that. My understanding from what I was reading um, was that Player X, the person that they most compared it to, or that they, they most thought resembled to- uh, Player X was Toby Maguire. Okay. Um, because apparently he's a known poker shark um, and, and known for being like a really good poker player and like just really brutal. Like, uh, you know, the character says at one point in, in this movie, um, he's not... It's, it's not about the money for him. It's he wants to ruin people's lives. Basically, he says, I, I'm not sure if that's the exact line, but something to that effect. Um, but, you know, I I had already read that going into this movie that it was supposed to be Tobey Maguire. Um, so I wasn't, uh, I thought that Michael Sarah was actually a great choice to play uh, Player X because if there's an actor out there who I think could play Tobey Maguire, it's Michael Sarah. Like, just their, their, screen presences are so similar and the type of roles that they play um i think maybe if you didn't know the backstory it might seem like a little bit of a weird choice to have michael Sarah as this really sort of ruthless cutthroat poker player but knowing the story of you know that it's supposed to be toby mcguire i actually thought it was a great choice yeah especially i mean to your point because of michael Sarah's past roles and i'm thinking particularly his role the first one that comes to mind is his role in Arrested Development, where he's literally sure. a child. <laughs> uh, yes. he, it really gives a different impression. So, yeah, I heard Tobey Maguire was one of them. I heard it's also potentially Ben Affleck or, and Leonardo DiCaprio. It might be a, a mix of all three of them. Yeah, I know DiCaprio was said to have played in some of the games. Right. So I definitely I, saw that. And I agree. I think, you know, when I first... I, so I try to stay pretty blank on these movies. I actually didn't even know Michael Sarah was in this film. Yeah. And when he first popped up, I was like Michael Sarah. This is this is a weird a weird role for him to be in, especially as the movie developed and you learn how much of a shark this guy is. Yeah, and to have him, I was so basically I was skeptical when he was first introduced in the film, but I was pretty convinced by the end of it. He does a really great job, just being absolutely ruthless. I agree, and I think it's it's good to see him branch out because I think he is an actor who can sometimes get uh, typecast in a particular parts and right. You know, sometimes I wonder how much range he actually has as an actor, but I think this this proved me wrong a little bit in that area. Yeah, and really capped off by what you're saying, that it's not about the money, it's about ruining lives. Yes. And also the the, the voicemail he leaves, or I don't, actually, it's, it's not even a voicemail, like when he, the, the last phone conversation that he has with, right. with Molly, where he goes, With Molly, yeah. yeah. You're so fucked. And yeah. that was really, it. That, that just really stands out as a strong performance. Yeah, that's when Molly really gets the wake-up call in the movie and decides to go to New York. Yes, you know, parked park on the side of the of the highway in her Audi sports yeah. car. You know, just really shook, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, so the I want to kind of shift focus toward maybe the, the ending now. And tied in with that ending is also the beginning of the film. And Molly's dad, who's played by Kevin Costner in this yes. film, who... I don't, was it just me, or did he look really different in this film? I didn't immediately recognize him as Kevin Costner. I, I eventually caught on who it was, but he just I looked a little him, different. But I, I, I'm also a huge Kevin Costner fan. So. Fair, fair, fair. Well, let's start with the let's start with maybe a little background because this is a part of the story we haven't really delved into yet. But mm-hmm. Kevin Costner's role in this film. What did you? Why don't you give us a little background? Well, I'm interested to see what you think about one particular scene in the movie. Oh, we'll I'm get to it. We'll get to it. I'm sure we yeah. will. One, the one scene that stood out to me with Kevin Costner's character, because he's really not in that much of the movie. No, um, no, he's not. And I think that, you know, at the beginning, I thought 
this is kind of a cliche character a little bit you know the obviously it's a real person but um mm-hmm. but the overbearing father who you know gets who, who father of an olympic ex- athlete yep yeah yep. expects so much out of his daughter that like you know his daughter starts to you know become jaded towards him feel mm-hmm. like that he doesn't really love her um and all of this because he just expects so much um but then you get this scene at the end of the movie which was one of the most interesting scenes in the movie in my opinion um where he shows up when molly is on the brink of what she believes being convicted um for this crime um and sort of just pours his heart out on this park bench um and when i saw this movie i actually really enjoyed this scene um i thought that it had some of the best writing in the movie and i thought kevin costner really did a great job um, with his performance in this particular scene um there's in, in fact there was one line that i liked that stuck out to me maybe because it reminded me of actually the the movie in our, in our namesake some like it hot the famous last yep. line where um he says where jack lemon's character says nobody's perfect uh in this sort of the same sort of humorous context in this scene um kevin costner has this moment where he talks about how oh his his other children are gone on to achieve these great things and 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 uh, and then he talks about molly and he's talked about how she just basically all on her own started this huge business of running poker games and made all this money and was so successful and talking about it in a really positive light and molly says and tomorrow i'm probably going to be convicted for whatever it is that she's been arrested for and he goes well nobody's perfect and i thought that was a, that was a great moment in the scene uh however when i uh, watched a review of this movie later from what the flick which is a program on youtube that i like to watch their movie reviews um i i i really enjoy all of the critics that they have on there i respect their opinions a lot uh they were talking about how much they hated the scene and it really took i was really a little taken aback because it was one of the scenes that really stuck out in my mind uh in this movie so i'm interested to see what you think about it yeah i'm gonna actually be siding with the what the flick people actually yeah. i'm not a huge fan of this scene maybe i'm crazy then no i don't think it's crazy i will <laughs> say there are there are moments in the scene where i'm very torn about it I will say the, yeah. we'll say it's 10 minutes long. It's not that long of a scene, but for the sake of my explanation, I will call it a 10 minute scene. It, yeah. The first seven minutes of it were, I was just like, just steaming in my chair. Like I was not having it. I was like, this is such a crappy scene for this really? film. In my perspective, it turned around a little bit towards the end of it. And I did, yeah. I, I did audibly laugh out loud and he said, well, we're not all perfect. Yeah, that was that was a good line. It was a good line. It was no, it was a very good line. But that scene didn't do it for me. Honestly, this entire subplot with uh, her dad doesn't really do it for me. I think that it's we talked about Idris Elba's character being underdeveloped. Honestly, like I'm glad they didn't develop this plot line more because I don't think it would get any better for me. I don't know if it's Sorkin's writing or the performances that are that Kevin Costner and, and even Jessica Chastain put into these this particular aspect of their roles. But it just seemed very... I mean, a lot, I mean, there are parts of this movie that are very cliche, but this this cliche didn't do it for me in this film. Yeah, and, maybe it was just the way Sorkin, Sorkin's writing was that made, made it rise above the cliches a bit for me. But I do think that the character of Kevin Costner as the father um, is important to this movie because it really kind of explains the why Molly is the way she is and sure. is so independent and wants to pull herself up by her bootstraps, do whatever it takes to make this poker game succeed because of her background, um, her 
talk about the family dynamics a little bit more with the the, the other movie we're going to talk oh, about because sure. um, I think there are some similar things going on in Itania. But um, yeah, there are a lot but, of similarities I think between between these two movies. Yeah, but maybe it's just a scene that I need to watch another time um, with a different different lens um, because you know maybe it was just I was really good vibing with the movie mm-hmm. and. I just, you know, it, it rolled right through that scene. Um, but it, it was it was an interesting scene in the movie to me. And, I mean, it did seem a little out of place, like the fact that she's randomly skating on this ice rink and he, like, it, they never really make it clear how he knows that she's there. Do yeah. they? No, no, well, they well he they say, so the dialogue, if I remember, if I'm remembering correctly, is that he talks about how he called her mom and he knew that she was in New York. But I, I can't. Maybe they did make make it clear how he knew that. Yeah, but it for, didn't. For, yeah. Anyway, for him to find her on this random skating rink yeah. was extremely far fetched. I will definitely agree with that. But at the same time, I knew his character was going to have to show up again at some point in the movie. Like, right. Right. I mean, the one thing for me is that not not just that that it was kind of far fetched that he found her on the ice. Like when I was watching the movie, I I thought she was hallucinating when he saw like when she saw him. I know. I I, I also initially thought that, which was. Crate like that would have been that would have been a completely different kind of crazy turn for yeah. this movie, but yeah. that that's how and I still wasn't sure until like they actually sit down on the park bench and start talking that like it wasn't a hallucination. Yeah. So I don't know. No, I, I, I I I also had the same reaction at first. Yeah. So that that's what I mean. For me in general, I think this kind of since we're kind of talking about the end of the movie, um, we'll tr- there. I mean, it's kind of hard to spoil this film just because it is a true story and the sure. ending is pretty predictable. But I'll try to avoid any explicit spoilers at the end of the movie talking about the ending here. But the ending in general, not just this kind of subplot with Kevin Costner, Kevin uh, Molly's dad, played by Kevin right. Costner. Uh, the ending for me in general just didn't do it for me. I didn't think it was a very good ending. I thought that Aaron Sorkin had written a really good two hours and then just kind of either was pushing up against a deadline or... Was there, was there a particular end scene at the end which didn't work for you? Was it the courtroom scenes, the, or what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I haven't looked at, up the authenticity of the scene itself, but the courtroom yeah. scene was just like, like that was just, I was just like, why, why is this the way this movie well, is I'm, ending? I mean, that I think that that actually is what happened from, uh, as far as what the judge ends up doing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I believe also, that. I believe I, it was Graham Greene who was playing the judge, and he did, I, he, he made the most of his one scene in this movie, I will say, but, um, but... I think that it's, you know, maybe not the exact words, obviously, what the judge ends up saying, but, like, I think, for the most part, that followed pretty closely to the true story. Yeah, and like I said, I believe that. It was just the way, yeah. again, and this might all be true to the tr- to the real-life story of what happened, but mm-hmm. the way that the ending was set up, particularly by Idris Elba's character, Charlie Jaffe, yeah. in terms of, oh, I really don't believe they should prosecute you for this, and, like, for this, because this is garbage, uh, yeah. and, you know, so many people commit worse crimes out there every single day, which is like true and nice that it happens. Like, not nice that this is something that happened in real life, and that a judge realized that this is a garbage conviction. Yeah. Or, or you know, however you want to describe it. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, I, you, you know, you you mentioned earlier that movies are about wish fulfillment. Maybe my wish fulfillment for movies is that they're. That this is that they're more realistic. Not that that not to say that this isn't true to real life events, but that it's more to what you expect a real life event to be like. And I was just really like it was just a flat ending, regardless of the authenticity of the film. Yeah. I just I just 
didn't care about the ending. I, th- I think that that's fair. Like, you know, it, the problem with it being a true story is that it does just kind of have to end. Like, right. it, I mean, it, it has to stick to the true true story. So it, maybe you have a, a, a great, compelling story for two hours, but unfortunately the ending isn't as exciting as the rest of the movie, And you're kind, but you're kind of cursed by that. Um, for sure. But, you know, it, it works for me for the most part. I've given up on expecting realistic courtroom scenes in movies, um, <laughs> which, which is, it, it, it's fine. I mean... You know, if there were more realistic courtroom scenes in movies, you wouldn't watch them. Yeah, I was gonna say you wouldn't watch those movies if they were realistic. It's more exciting when the counsel is just blatantly testifying, you know, right? When they when they shouldn't be and stuff like that. Yeah, and and to be fair to this movie, it's there aren't too many courtroom scenes, so they don't give themselves too much of a chance to just obliterate reality. But nevertheless, you're right. They 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 you no one would want to watch a real a real life courtroom scene. Probably. I was excited to see a courtroom scene in this movie, though, given the past with a few good men. For sure, for sure. Aaron Sorkin does have a good history with courtroom scenes. Oh, yes. And, I mean, maybe this scene is one of your favorites. I don't know, but I have to ask, kind of a, as we move toward a wrap-up here of Molly's Game, what was your favorite scene or moment from this film? I think it's going to be the one that I talked about earlier, which is Idris Elba's rant um, in, the de- in that deposition scene, mostly because it did just remind me so much of... Um, of the uh, the scene from A Few Good Men, I also was a big fan of the scene where um, uh, what's the name of the character who he's played by Brian Darcy James, who is the really bad poker player, bad Brad. Uh, yes, and the scene where he beats um, is it Harlan Eustis that he beats? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that scene was awesome. Like I, I typically don't get involved in poker scenes in movies, but I was laughing my butt off during that scene i thought it was i thought it was great the way that he bluffed him without realizing he was bluffing him and all but yep. I, I thought that was a really memorable scene too. you 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 took the words out of my mouth because that was my yeah. favorite scene in the in the film i sorry but, to say no it's fine sorry, it's, fi- it's totally to fine because i'm still gonna i'm still gonna give my spiel about it so yeah but that scene where everyone at this table knows that brad is the worst poker uh-huh. player imaginable and they just steal, basically, just take money from him. Although there's a the clever explanation afterwards that it, it that he gives up a hundred thousand a week so he can take four million from yeah. them on in his hedge in his Ponzi scheme hedge fund. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Harlan Eustace is a, a new player at the table, hasn't ever right. played Brad before, and just gets totally duped by Brad's un you know just un unexplainable, inexplicable. Uh, confidence in his terrible cards confident yeah and the way he bet which he had no idea what he was doing perfectly signaled that he had the nuts in his hand and it didn't and then the kind of the the aftermath of that scene where where harlan goes on tilt is 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 definitely a contributor to how much i like the the scene but that that scene in particular itself is, is what sticks out to me I liked Brian Darcy James's performance too, as as the the poker player. I think he's an actor who should be in more movies. He was great in Spotlight too. Yeah, I was I was actually going to mention that uh, uh, he is of Spotlight fame, and he was fantastic in that film. He's also a, a big stage actor. Like he was um, in Next to Normal. Might have even gotten a Tony for that um, for that musical. Um, so that's kind of an, another interesting fact about him. Right, and I'm pretty sure he was also in. Uh... He's King George the Third in Hamilton. That's right. I saw it yep. recently. Yeah, he he went. He was the person who was going to play that role. That's right. I knew that there was something I'd read about it recently. 
Yep, those are the those are the big the big kind of notes for Brian Darcy yes. James for sure. Right, so those are our favorite scenes from the film. I think they are worthy worthy favorite scenes. They're very good. And now I think to finish up, let's give this movie a rating. I'll start with you. What would you what do you what do you give this film? So out of ten, which I believe is what our system is gonna be, at least for now, um, I think I'm gonna go with a, about an eight point three for me. Uh, just because you know, like it isn't Sorkin's best work. I know he's capable of more, and it's it's not going to stay with me like some of Sorkin's um, other works have. But there's so much to like between the dialogue and the performances, and just the the compelling nature of the story in general that it, it rates very highly for me. Yeah, I think I think that I think that's a very fair a very fair score for this film, especially given there are there are lots of positives. I in fact thought you might go a little bit higher with your rating, to be honest. Yeah. And there are a lot of positives, and for me, there's a few more negatives, I think, for me than there are for you, which is why yes, my score is going to be a little bit lower, but not not terribly low. I'd give it a 7.5 out of 10. That's fair. Yeah, fair. and Jessica Chastain, Idris Elba, there's lots of really strong acting performances. Sorkin scripts, always very sharp, something I always enjoy. But the, yes. ending, the ending did let me down a little bit, and I didn't always follow, logically, the narrative arc of the film, which those are yes. probably the big... The big ticks against it for me yeah all right so i think that you'd agree with me in saying that it's always a treat to absorb aaron sorkin's uh witty writing and i think you'd be missing out if you didn't take the chance to see molly's game at some point whether that's in the theater now or later in the comfort of your own home so let's take a short break and we'll be back with part two where we will be discussing i tanya Welcome back for part two of today's Some Like It, Scott. We're going from one leading lady to another here, and this time around, it is Margot Robbie who steps into the spotlight for her leading role as two-time Olympian Tanya Harding in Craig Gillespie's black comedy, I, Tanya. It seems we have a bit of a recurring theme of Olympic athletes in today's episode, but regardless, Robbie stars alongside Allison Janney and Sebastian Stan, who play Harding's mother and ex-husband, respectively. And again, similar to Molly's Game, this film debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival in September before getting a full release a while back in December. Scott, this film's been getting a lot of Oscar hype for the performances of Margot Robbie and Allison Janney, but before we sink our teeth into their roles, I'd love to start by again getting your high-level thoughts on the film. What struck you most during the two-hour runtime? Well, I'll just say that I think that all the Oscar buzz that this movie is getting is totally warranted um this was my number three favorite movie of last year so i'll just i'll tip my hand like you did um with uh with something on molly's game earlier but um but yeah i i thought i loved um i loved i tanya um i i i just think that the the tone of this movie maybe is the strongest um is the strongest part because you see so many sports biopics and so many of them are just the paint by the numbers inspirational stories or whatever um so to see Craig Gillespie, I mean, it would have been, I feel like it would have been a compelling movie if he just gave, gave this a straight-laced treatment because the story is just so insane. But to treat this insane story with an equal amount of insanity just in the way that the black comedy is in this movie and also the soundtrack, which I love, like the, the way he uses classic rock 
is awesome. Like even in the figure skating scenes and just in general in the movie. Um, I, 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 it's just a, it is a fun movie, which is sounds crazy to say considering how dark the story gets sometimes. But it, I just had so much fun watching this movie. Um, and I, honestly, I, I was blown away by uh, by what a compelling story it is, and the way it, it made me see this story in a whole new light. Uh, because I didn't know a ton about the story. I've seen the thirty for thirty about it, which is I mean, all the thirty for thirties are good, but it's it's a really good one. So I kind of you know had a I've always had a very one sided view of this story, and I think most people have, and that's one of the reasons Craig Gillespie decided to make this movie. Um, so to see a different perspective on it, um, you know, is is great, and it definitely it definitely makes me approach this story in a different way um, when I think about it now. Yeah, I can only echo your praise for this film. I was absolutely blown away when I saw th- when I saw this. I I'm, I'm I'm I have to really rake my brain to come up with complaints about this film. But just to echo your thought, like the soundtrack was something that stuck out to me. Obviously, it's not an original score because he's using rock music, like yes. you said, for most of it. But it's I just can't think of a moment where the music didn't perfectly match the tone of that specific scene. In the yes, film, absolutely, and you know all all of the all of the acting roles in this, with maybe one caveat, which we'll talk about later, were really strong for me, and I cannot praise enough like how exactly like you described how crazy the story is, yet how engaged I was with the with the content, with the way it's presented, and with these performances from these from these actors and actresses. Yeah, uh, talking about the soundtrack again, I'd be interested to know how many of those songs Tanya Harding actually used, like in her skating routines, because a lot of the songs do happen during the skating scenes. Um, so, if in fact she did use some of those songs, I think that that's awesome because that goes right along with like sort of the personality and the way Marco Robbie plays his character in the movie. Yeah, I was looking up some like fact checking stuff on this film earlier. I didn't see anything about the about the music, so I, I can't really provide any color for that, but. Uh, I was surprised with with the amount of accuracy that that or faithfulness it seems that this this film has has kind of lent the story in in terms of I kind of went into it with in the back of my mind kind of you know understanding that this the this movie was based off interviews of Tanya Harding and and um uh, Jeff Galuli and so I I was skeptical that it might be a bit of a rose tinted glasses affair for tanya harding and doing some fact checking on the back and also recognizing that i know that tanya harding's mother lavana golden did did come out with with some comments about how it was it unfaithfully portrayed certain parts mostly to do with her role i was about to say well i would think that she would have take some exception to the way that this movie uh portrays her her character absolutely yeah not necessarily saying that the that tanya did or didn't know about everything that was going on in the way that this movie presents that but just more that uh, it, it wasn't always faithful. Obviously, giving you know, giving rise to questions about the faithfulness and integrity of the rest of the movie. But right. but yeah, that, that's I, my perspective on it. I think it was you know, I thought it was pretty fair. Like obviously, it does look at Tanya Harding in a more positive light. But I mean, I think that as far as the whole Nancy Kerrigan situation goes, they were pretty. I mean, they left it ambiguous as to whether or not she actually knew. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, they, they do actually because, a really good job with that, I thought. Yeah, because I th- I mean, I don't know if anyone really knows, except for, you know, Tanya Harding and Jeff Galuli and Sean, what's his name, the, the or maybe that's the actor, but the, the no, body No, it, it's Sean Eckhart. The actor is Paul yeah. Walter Hauser. Right. Yep. Um, 
So, so yeah, I thought that they they were pretty fair um, in in the way that they they presented the whole um, Nancy Kerrigan stuff, which obviously is very central to the movie. Um, because like it really does, even if you do think she's guilty, I think the the thesis of this movie, so to speak, um, says well maybe she's not fully to blame for why her her life and her career ended up this way ended up with such a nasty incident um involving nancy kerrigan maybe there are there are other factors which led up to this moment yeah and i think that's really i mean at the end at kind of jumping to the end of the film and that's really i think the goal is to emphasize that question about whether or not she had how much agency did she have in these events when yes. jeff galuli's character uh, played by sebastian stan says says yeah i ruined her career kind of thing i think that that isn't i don't yeah. think there's much ambiguity in, in in that and it all be and it all get, comes back to and maybe i'm getting ahead of myself a little bit but it's just a t- constant theme of violence in in tanya harding's life whether yep. it's you know her ex-husband beating her her mother it's just horrible physical and physically and mentally um so you know you kind of you kind of say to yourself you know maybe she did do it but you know, this is all she's ever known, really. Like, it's 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 a very interesting interesting look at the story and the the way uh, you know just just the backstory, the way it explains possibly what happened with the Nancy Kerrigan situation definitely goes a long way towards garnering sympathy for Tanya Harding, which I think this movie does. Yes, I definitely agree that it, I I mean, as someone who has a little bit less experience with the story than you do, I I haven't watched the Thirty for Thirty. I you know, yeah. it's impossible not to know the name Tanya Harding. I think. At least people of our age, even even yeah. though we weren't born yet when this when these events were happening, um, people younger obviously might have different experiences. But even I knew, as someone who hasn't sought out information on this event, I still knew some details of it. And this yeah. movie does do a good job portraying Tanya Hardy in a bit more positive light than than my understanding my understanding was. And I don't think anyone's ever really presented Tanya Hardy in much of a positive light in the past. So it's sort of revolutionary in that aspect. And why don't we take, you know, that that's a perfect segue, and why don't we just talk about Margot Robbie's performance of Tanya Harding and okay. really drill in, because it is a strong performance from my perspective. What did you think? I didn't, I didn't know Margot Robbie had this in her, honestly, because, I mean, I, you know, obviously she got her breakthrough with The Wolf of Wall Street, which is a big-time movie, but even yep. her role in that movie was a little fluffy, and For sure. she's been in yeah. a lot of fluffy movies since then. Um you know, thinking of focus with Will Smith and Suicide Squad obviously was was terrible, even though I've never seen it. Um, and I, I also remember her from Whiskey Tango Foxtrot in a pretty atrocious. Not, her acting wasn't atrocious, but the role was atrocious. Though she was yeah, asked to yeah. play. Uh, so you know, I I thought it was an interesting choice, but I was I was you know I was really interested to see what she would do with this role as an actress who has never really blown me away in the past. But man, did she blow me away in this movie. Um, her. The way she talks is, is just oh, it's like so, yeah, it's, it's so, so good, engaging. Like I, I just love listening to her talk, like the accent and yeah. and just the general sort of devil may care attitude that she brings to this um, character of Tanya Harding. Really, really like as to the larger than life quality that Tanya Harding kind of has, and that this whole story kind of has. Um, so yeah, I can't say enough about how good she was and i think her performance really matched the the black comedic tone of this movie because there were times when i didn't know whether to laugh or you know uh, be sorry for her um yeah this movie mixed laughter and you know deep discomfort in in very quick succession 
oftentimes. Yes, I agree. Um, so yeah, I, you know, honestly, thinking about the best actress category, um, you know, I, I mean, uh, Saoirse Ronan might be my favorite actress at the moment, and I think Frances McDormand was incredible in Three Billboards Outside of Missouri. But honestly, I might give this award to Margot Robbie just for the sheer difficulty of the performance and what she is able to achieve. Because um, I think a lot of actresses maybe um, would have done a, a good job with this role, but I feel like she takes it to a whole nother level. I agree. I, and I think this is something that very much applies to Margot Robbie for me in this film, but also applies to everyone, all of the core actors and actresses in this film, at least, that they just nail the mannerisms of their characters, whether that's, you know, intonations, whether that's, you know, physical tics, things like that. They just nail them so well. It was amazing to me how consistent they were throughout the entire film in their their personas that they've, they've, you know, taken on in this film. It blew me away. It's another thing that just blew me away about this film. I agree, and I hope that this leads to Margot Robbie getting a lot more leading roles and a lot more colorful roles um, in, in movies. Yeah, I mean, you talked about her being in Suicide Squad and that being a garbage movie, which I 100% agree with you it is. She is a very good Harley Quinn, though, and I've heard that yeah. she has a leading role in the fo- kind of the follow-up to that film, which is it's called Gotham City Sirens, or, mm-hmm. like, or Gotham Sirens. And so I'd be... I, I'm interested to see how that translates to a leading role for her in terms of having more just time to own the screen as well as what other maybe more impactful and meaningful roles she might have after this yeah and one more point on the way that she talks like i think it's especially impressive because she is australian um so yeah we haven't mentioned that yet but people may not know that but yeah she's australian like yeah not only does she hide her australian accent really well but she just captures like this Redneck. She self-describes as a redneck at the beginning of the film. Yeah, I was about to say it was like Kentucky accent. I, I mean, that's the only way I know how to describe it, really. Even um, though she's from, even though so Nan- yeah, even though Tanya Harding's from Oregon. I, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Kind of that really, for the lack of a better way to describe it, that kind of uneducated redneck stereotype that sometimes, I mean, may or may not be accurate depending on the person. Yeah. But she really does a great job with that accent. I totally agree. And I mean, I could sit here for. 20, 30 more minutes and, and praise Margot Robbie, but I don't know if we want to be too repetitive in this yeah, conversation. So why don't we move on to another role that I think we're going to absolutely gush over. Allison Janney as Tanya Harding's mother, whose name is Lavana Golden. What did you think of Allison Janney, who has already won the Best Supporting Actress Award at the Golden Globes? I mean, what can you say about her at this point that hasn't been said? I mean, she's incredible in everything, and like, I'm so glad that she's getting roles again, because I feel like there was a period after West Wing ended where maybe she wasn't doing as much stuff with the exception of Juno, which, you know, one of my all time favorite movies. And I love her role in that movie as Juno's stepmother, but, um, she was in hairspray. Wasn't she in what, what, which movie did you say? Hairspray. Wasn't she in hairspray too? I don't recall, but, uh, I don't, I don't remember her being in it, but it's possible. But now she's getting a lot more roles, whether it's, you know, on TV, obviously she stars in mom, but um, in, in movies, too, and I think people have just come to appreciate her and recognize her for what a gifted and versatile actress. I think versatile is the word when I think of her because, I mean, Mom obviously is your straight two-camera sitcom on CBS where, you know, with a laugh track and everything, and she stars in that, and she goes from doing something like that to doing something like this, which is such a dark, brutal, uncompromising role. Yep. I, I've said this before. Um, but I think I 
thought of J.K. Simmons' performance in Whiplash mm-hmm. um, watching this performance, except that, uh, and I've said this before too, but I think that J.K. Simmons' character, maybe even you could say, had a little more motivation than um, than Allison Janney does in this movie. I mean, she's, her character is more just uncompromisingly cruel, like I said. Um, but, I mean, she pulls it off and, like, it's incredible. Just It's just incredible to watch her work, um, especially in such a larger-than-life role, and I think she's going to get the Oscar. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen a supporting actress role yet that I could say is better than this. Not even close. I can't even think of another one. I, I mean, there probably are some other really strong ones that I just can't think of off the top yeah. of my head. But she is... She is... She just... You can't take her your eyes off of her when she's on screen yes, in this film. It's arresting. Yeah. She she is magnetic. I want like oh it's she's her character is so I mean, evil is almost the right word. Yeah, no, it definitely definitely so. And yet you just want to see more of her. It's never enough. She just does such a good job really encapsulating that uncompromising, as you described it, brutal relationship that she has with her daughter. And it's just I don't have enough words to describe how how strong of a performance it is. You you mentioned about Margot Robbie not having you know the Tanya Harding performance in her. You didn't know that. And Allison Janney has put in very strong performances in the past. I, I don't want to sell her short on that. But this is a whole another monster for her to take on. And does she absolutely vanquish this monster and just really put in an incredible performance that she thoroughly deserves awards for? In my opinion. Yeah, and I mean. It is to some extent, but also I've, you know, I've thought highly of her for a long time. I wasn't surprised to see her, you know, absolutely show out in this role. Like, I think she can basically do anything at this point. Um, Right. And yeah, I mean, you know, it goes back to the point we were making earlier with Molly's Game about how both are sort of movies about women who, and their, their parental relationships kind of shape them into the way that they are. Um, Yep for better or for worse, uh, ultimately. Um, and I think that that definitely applies here again with, um, with Allison Janney's character, the way she's so, uh, abusive towards her daughter, you know, maybe you could definitely say in this movie, I think is trying to say that definitely played a role in what led to the whole Nancy Kerrigan incident. If Tanya was involved. Yeah. I was reading an, an actually an interview that Allison Janney gave, around around the time of this release and she was talking about how difficult of a role it was for her and how it was i mean she said point like said it was the hardest role she's had in her career and you could understand why I mean, yeah. and what she's asked to do in this role i do want to bring up one thing though about this relationship this is this isn't about allison janney's performance but the sure. relationship between uh Tan, tanya and her mother is that there are some there are and this is what the real life levana golden has brought up as being fictitious and that is the extent of the physical violence uh, that she has, mm-hmm. that the, phys- the physically violent relationship she had with Tanya. It's, right. All of those scenes are based entirely off what Tanya Harding told the told Craig Gillespie and the other people who are working on right. on the film and the writers. And those scenes, I'm thinking in particular that the hitting her with a hairbrush and sure, throwing, yeah. throwing a knife at her. Those those are unverified. Of course, it's hard to verify them, but I do want to bring out that bring up the fact that Levana Golden in real life does dispute that that those those scenes of violence take place. Well, uh, I want to ask too on that same note then, because I haven't really looked into this aspect of it, but 
does she say anything about the scene where she shows up at, at Tanya's house and is wearing a wire? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've also read. Yeah, that was the one scene in the movie which maybe didn't ring true to me. I thought that was just a little too far fetched. Uh, so, so, obviously, the, a lot of this story is far fetched, but I was sitting there thinking because I didn't know that aspect of the story. I thought surely that didn't really happen did it so so it did happen in a slightly different way so she yeah. did the core of the core of the that scene does does take place in real life she, however it doesn't happen at her house it happens uh-huh. at uh, actually a, a figure skating practice that she's doing before the olympics still the fact that that happened is crazy <laughs> yeah i mean it shows how absolutely messed up that relationship is that yeah there were some there were some things that i thought like while watching the movie that i was like there's no way that this is true and we'll get to one another one in, in a moment when we talk a little bit later and yeah. you know this 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 what you just described was one of them and i was i was floored when i read that this is this has been verified by reporters who gave her the wire yeah i certainly am too that's why I asked about it because I, I certainly didn't think that that, that was what you were going to say. But yep. uh, amazing, just like just like the rest of this movie, and just like the story in Molly's game too. That's the theme of the day, I think. Yeah. So why don't we turn to the last kind of central character of the story, played by Sebastian Stan of Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he plays Bucky Barnes in the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe. Uh, but yeah, he plays he plays Tanya Harding's ex husband Jeff Galuli. Yes. What did you think of? Stan's performance. Well, I'll say he wears the sweaters very nicely. There's like a yep. there was a jo- joke go- around in the '90s that people were, would go into the store and ask for the Galuli because that was like the, the, the sweater. He became so known for his sweaters. Yeah. And he um, made a joke about that at the in one of the first scenes. I think in one of the first interview scenes that he has, he yeah. makes a joke about they made a verb out of his name. Yeah, um, you know, to be honest with you, this performance didn't. Um, didn't stand out to me and i think maybe it's just because you have such it's overshadowed yeah yeah exactly there's such bold performances um from margot robbie and from allison janney um but again kind of like what i was talking about with idris elba and molly's game i think that he does what he has to do with this character um he's kind of just the guy behind the scenes who you could really say is pulling all of the strings um and and yeah so again it's not it's not a performance which makes a big deal about itself, but it's not supposed to make a big deal about itself. And I think he wisely, you know, surrenders the spotlight in most of his scenes to Margot Robbie and to Allison Janney. Yeah, as you kind of described with Aaron Sorkin's directing, getting out of the way of his writing, I think Sebastian Stan's, you know, the biggest thing I can say about, well, okay, I can say two big things about him for me in this film is that one, he, he gets out of the way of the real star power that's happening around him. And he also does do my favorite scenes with him and his strongest scenes are the ones where he's just absolutely enraged with Sean Eckhart. Yes. Uh, he, he does when he's given those scenes to kind of be the, the central figure in, he, he does a very good job. But, but like you said, I, I think it's a, a good comparison is the Idris Elba performance because I view them similarly in that they, they did what they were asked to do and they didn't, and they didn't, they didn't take away from anything around them ever. Yes. I, I, completely agree and i like i do also did like the scenes with sean um just sort of for the whole like bumbling henchman uh slash mastermind dynamic that they had going on there yeah and this is so this is actually the other thing that i was alluding to about how i just thought was absolutely absurd that there's no way that this like this was just a caricature of the real life person who is sean eckhart 
and it was actually it bothered me during while I was watching the film. And then in the credits, so you know how I don't know if you stuck around very long in the credits, but they showed real like life footage of these characters. And I don't think that I did see that. Yeah, so in the in the credits they have like they have actual footage usually of them doing interviews with like news organizations and they have a, the whole cast pretty much it's Sean Sean included here Sean Eckert who's played by I already mentioned it but played by Paul Walter Hauser and I when, like when I was in the film I was like there is no way that this guy actually on on actual in real life interviews on national television said that he worked for counter espionage agencies yes. I thought that was absurd and it bothered me that they were like leaning into that caricature and then in the post credit scene Line for line, they show the live footage of him saying that to, like, a CNN reporter. Oh, my god! It's insane. And then, obviously, my opinion then immediately flipped. I was like, what on earth is this person? Like, this person is a real yeah. person who really did say to CNN that he worked for, like, his background was in counter-espionage. Oh. What does that even, like, what does that even mean? <laughs> he worked for CTU with Jack Bauer. That's what it means. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's yeah, all, I, I mean, that's all I, I have to say I about mean, that. That's just insane. He's just such a dumb character. Like the, <laughs> the whole moment when the cops show up too and are like, "Do you know who Tanya Harding is?" And he's like, "Who?" who? Or Tony Harding or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, and they're like, "Aren't you her bodyguard?" <laughs> yeah, he was. He 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 personifies the bumbling henchman as you as you said, and yes. it's amazing to me that he is that accurately portrayed because i i looked up a lot of fact checking about him after the movie because his character bothered me during the film like i said yeah and all of it is authentic like he really did all of those things what is he doing nowadays do you know he he, so i i do know i looked it up i was interested enough he actually died in 2007 he got out of jail and then died at the age of 40 i didn't actually look up why he like how he died but he He died wow yeah he actually he passed away a decade ago yeah yep this is why you're a good host. You do all the uh, the background research. <laughs> For sure. Well, I appreciate that. I, I I was so I was so entranced by this film that I, I had to do more research. Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to do some now too. It's 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 such a good film. Oh my goodness! And I think on that note, why don't we touch on our last topic before we do a wrap up? And this, you know, this is going to only relate tangentially to the film, but I think it's worth bringing up. We've kind of touched on it already too, but I really would like to spend a moment discussing domestic abuse both in terms of you know husband wife in the situation with you know jeff galuli and tanya harding but also parental abuse and and the life of children who are trying to become superstar athletes olympians however you want to describe them i think that both of these movies have some of it but like particularly this movie with the relationships that are shown on screen and i'd love just to just to chat a little bit about that yeah, and I think, I mean, I just, in general, what I would say is I think that it's really important that these stories get told um, because you see, like, that it's it's directly relevant to what's going on today. I mean, just this week we had uh, a lot more coming out about the uh, the gymnastics, the USA Gymnastics. Um, yep, Nassar. I don't know, yep. trainer or something like that who, like, you know, he didn't really, I don't know if it was he molested them or he, he just sexually harassed, like, a number of gymnasts from Allie Raisman, Gabby Douglas, Simone Biles, all, I mean, all of the, the Olympic team, basically, from the last Olympics. Yeah, it's the, um, it's the F, it, so it's the gymnastics doctor whose name is Larry Nassar. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he but, is accused of assault, not just harassment. Yeah. Um, but, I like, I think that it just goes to show that Olympic success 
sometimes comes with a, a price that we don't really know about because there's just so much pressure heaped on these people and it, it uh, it, you know, it boils over into violence so often. So, like I said, I think it's really important that um, these stories get told um, and that we don't shy away from, you know, as, as brutal as Allison Janney's character is, I think it's, you know, it's important that we get the full extent of it um, so that we can confront these issues head on and, and do whatever we can to, to make things better. Yeah, the more visibility that can be given to these situations and, and- you know, this is an example of Olympic athletes and the relationships that they have with their parents and their mentors and their coaches. So it's a particular example. Obviously, this issue, this problem spreads much more widely beyond this. And But like I said, the more visibility that this can be given in such a mainstream light, I mean, this movie, granted, it's not, it's not raking in at the box office like it deserves to be, but yes. people are seeing it, people are talking about it. And that is massively important, especially with the ongoing Time's Up movement and related related movements around sexual harassment, sexual assault, things like yeah. that. Yeah, it absolutely... It, I think this movie does a good job putting those on the screen. And for the people who are maybe critical of the Time's Up movement, I think that they can't even be too critical of this movie because, I, you know, in some ways, I don't even think this movie makes a judgment on whether that abuse is good or bad. It just puts it out there in a, in, in a way that... I mean, obviously, Lavana Golden says is unfair to her because it's inaccurate, but it puts it out there for you to decide how you feel about it and how it makes you feel. And that's something that I appreciate for the people who come back and say, like, oh, like, this is an unfair thing, whatever. Obviously, yeah. I mean, I have my own feelings about it, and they're very strong Yes. based on you know some of the work that I've done while I was in college. But for me, I think that those, those, those people who are critical of movements like Time's Up can't even can't be critical of the way this movie portrays it. And so that's something that I uh, appreciate, even though I think that the people who are critical of in those ways are, you know, just really full of it. Yeah, I don't know where they're coming from, really, being critical. But, but yep. yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Yep. All right, so let's kind of enter our wrap-up phase for I, Tanya. What was your favorite scene or moment from this film? That's a tough one. Um, you, you talk about yours, and then I'll have one. Sure, sure. So for me, it was also really hard to pick. There are so many strong scenes. I wouldn't say that this is the best scene of the film by any stretch of the imagination, but the recreation of the first time that Tanya Harding does the triple axel in the film with yes. the music and with the whole... It's uh, mesmerizing. It's mesmerizing. And also the right before it, and this is another crazy thing that Allison Janney's Lavana Golden does in the film, it pays the heckler to heckle her and call her yes. garbage, essentially, and say that she was going to mess up and, and fall and fail. And then she goes out and lands the triple axle. My spine was tingling during that scene just because of how electric the atmosphere was, both because of the music, because of the build-up to, to, that, to that scene, and, I mean, honestly, the, the things that happened after it as well. It's just such a well-done scene. Like I said, it's not the one that Tanya Harding, or sorry, that Margot Robbie shows off her best acting performance, or Allison Janney does either, but it's a film that really captures how strongly I feel about this film. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, that that is, that is a great choice. And I'm going to go with uh, the scene that I mentioned earlier, I guess. You know, the one that, that did stand out to me was probably the scene involving Alice and Janney wearing The Wire. Um, just because the twists that this scene takes um, from where, you know, you, 
at the beginning, you start to think, um, you know, maybe maybe this character is finally showing that she has a heart. Maybe she's actually being sincere. Um, and, and we're seeing that all along she did, you know, care for her daughter. And I mean, I think Margot Robbie's character goes through the same thing in the scene. Um, and then so for then for the ultimate reveal of the scene uh, is just kind of a gut punch. Um, yep. Like that, that definitely sticks with you. So that's that's definitely going to be the scene for me, I think. Yeah, a great scene. You know, it was so it was such a strong gut punch, like you said, that you didn't believe it was true, and uh, I think I think it, there are so many good scenes to pick from. It's hard to go wrong with whatever you choose for this film. Yes, absolutely. All right, so got to give it a rating. What are you feeling for this one? I'm gonna go nine point three. I love this movie, and I think everyone should see it. Yeah, I'm. Oh man, I'm I'm so close to giving this movie a ten. I wow. I I think that I have a f- I have a few. The, the few things that can knock it down from a 10... Of course, a movie doesn't, for me, how I rate a film, it doesn't start at a 10 and go down. But I think that the things that hold it back from being a 10... I'm not a huge fan of fourth wall breaking in yeah. any film, really, with one exception. The one that I have enjoyed it, breaking the wall, fourth wall in, is Deadpool, which I've talked about, I think, on I the think last it episode. Works in some movies. Yeah, it, it works in some, some movies. movies. This movie, it doesn't work for me. It's not a huge critique of the film it doesn't doesn't take that much away from it for me but it's not it's just not something that that ever really jives for me i get why craig gillespie did it and i get that um i get how it how he thought or what he was trying to add by bringing it it just didn't work for me and i think that given a stronger performance from sebastian stan and and a couple of the other sporting roles it might get to a 10 but for me it's going to be a 9.5 that's fair and you know also it's our first episode so you can't give something a 10 yet we got to build up to it you know Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't know. I don't know. This this film is this film would probably know, it's pretty close to perfect. I yeah, will agree with you. This this film would easily give Lady Bird a run for its money for my favorite movie of last year if I had seen it last year. Number so, three on my list. For sure, for sure. Alright. So I think that uh, we can both agree that Itania is something that you have to go and watch as soon as possible. If for no other reason because it likely will be continuing to rake in nominations as Oscar season quickly approaches. But Definitely. let's take another short break. And we'll be back with part three, where we'll have our discussion topic of the week, as well as what we've been watching. Be back in a sec. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in to part three of today's Some Like It's Scott. Before we jump into our discussion topic for this week, I'd like to give a few minutes for us to talk about other things we've been watching besides Molly's Game and I, Tanya. And for me, I just finished up watching Big Little Lies. It did come out a while ago, uh, last year, back in, I think I believe it was April. But I just kind of dialed in on this mini, well, it was a miniseries, but now it's going to be a recurring TV show because they've they've uh, already ordered a season two for it. As but, with every successful show, but yeah, exactly. Well, that's not always true, but uh, yeah. But this 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 has this show has really stuck with me. I've thoroughly enjoyed my time with the I believe it's seven episodes that it ran for, and obviously uh, uh, to to continue with our theme of this film, like leading roles for women. Uh, the three obviously the three main characters. And this film are played by Reese Witherspoon, um, 
Shailene Woodley, and remind me who the last person is. I'm always I always forget her name. Well, there's Nicole Kidman, there's Laura yeah. Dern, Zoe Kravitz. I'm mean, across the board. Sure, yeah. So I was thinking Nicole Kidman. Yeah, and then, sure. She's the yeah, other main role. And, the, and then you have supporting roles with you know Zoe Kravitz and uh, Laura Dern, who do fantastic jobs. And for me, it also kind of fits in with the conversation we were having about abuse a little while ago. It's oh, a, absolutely. It's a show that that really tackles head on the effect of domestic violence in and outside of relationships, sexual abuse, things like that. And I don't know if I, I mean, I definitely don't want to go into any spoilers for anyone out there who might watch the future because the the intensity of the TV show entirely relates to the, the not knowing the answer to a lot of questions of what's going to happen. But I just want to give it a few moments to praise its quality. I think it's well-deserved getting all the awards that it got for a miniseries at the Golden Globes. Granted, it wasn't up against The hand, the Handmaid's Tale or or uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisie, but it, it, it was such high quality. I don't know if you if you have any thoughts, but I know you've watched it as well. Yeah, uh, you know, I actually watched it, like, right after it came out. Um, or, I mean, I was watching the episodes pretty concurrently with when they were airing. Right. Um, so it's been a while since I watched it. But, yeah, I agree with definitely what you were saying about abuse. Obviously, that's maybe the main takeaway in terms of the storyline. Um of this movie, and I think that, or of this series, rather, um, and I think that just the the way that this series was pitched, I mean, because obviously it was based on a New York Times best-selling book um, by Leanne Moriarty, um, and the, just the way that the series was pitched as sort of this splashy, you know, summery thriller um, starring these, you know, huge-name actresses, I think a lot of people you know, maybe went into this thing not expecting where it was going to go. I know I didn't expect where it was going to go because I haven't read the book. Um, right. So the fact that it does go uh, into such um, important territory in terms of talking about confronting abuse, I think is good because, like I said, I think the way that it was pitched maybe drew in a lot of viewers that it wouldn't have gotten otherwise if if it was, you know, if they were really more upfront about um, the way that this, this show tackles uh, abuse head on. Um, but you know, and something else I'll say that I really enjoyed about the miniseries is just the flaws in every character. Um, I, I love like when there is moral complexity in characters, um, because I think it's just one of the hardest things to do when you're a writer. Um, you know, it's easy to write characters who are hundred percent good, easy to write characters who are hundred percent bad. Um, but it's harder to write characters who are a hundred percent human, which means being both good and bad. Um, and so I think everyone in this movie, I mean, or in this series, I keep saying that, but, um, but, you know, I, I mean, obviously, um, like Nicole Kidman's character, you know, has a lot to do with the abuse sub, uh, subplot and, you know, we want to be able to sympathize for her, with her and we certainly do, but at the same time, this is a flawed character. Same with Reese Witherspoon's character. Yep. I mean, she does some things where you're like, why are you doing this? You know, like, why, are, sure. why are you, why are you? taking your life in this direction um but you know i think that just makes everything all the more compelling to watch because you don't know what's going to happen from scene to scene because these characters are so complex yeah and i can't i can't agree with your portrayal of these characters more and that moral complexity that imperfection in every single character in this tv show for me drives the plot forward it made me want to keep watching another episode every single night even though i had to go to bed 
and I usually did go to bed because <laughs> because I needed to. But yes. but it, it it made me you know want to get home the next day and watch another episode, and that idea of imperfection was really epitomized in a great scene with Reese Witherspoon's daughter in the in the final episode. That obviously I won't be spoiling, but. It, 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 I don't know if you remember this particular scene I'm talking about, but does such a good I job. It, yeah, it does a, such a good job confronting and having a com- well, not really having a conversation, but but telling, describing to her daughter how imperfect she is, in spite of the way she maybe presents herself. And I think it was a very strong scene from Reese Witherspoon, who didn't end up taking home any awards personally at the Golden Globes, but a strong her nomination is indicative of a very strong performance from her. And also, she was kind of the one who made this show happen to some extent, because she's a producer. Right. Um, and she's really big on bringing these um, best-selling books, especially best-selling books for women and about women, um, to the big screen. I know that there are some other examples, maybe that she's done in the past or that she's going to be doing. She might have even been involved with Fifty Shades of Grey in some way, I want to say, but that I may just be making that up. But I know that she is really involved in like the world of literature um, and in bringing a lot of these women's stories to to uh, either the small screen or the big screen. I think that, yeah, it, what, Reese, what, Reese, what Reese Witherspoon is doing is really important because more of these kind of roles need to be out there, especially when, when they're such high quality. Right, like, yes. like there is nothing but quality that exudes from this television show, in my opinion. Obviously, it has flaws. There are things about it that I don't like, but nevertheless, it's a great story that's worth that's worth tuning in for. And so, I don't know if I have too much more thoughtful content to add, other than uh, yeah, it's it's a story that I'm glad was told. I'm I'll be interested to see where they go with it from here because yeah, it was definitely. based on a book. And you know, trying to force a second season out of it is an interesting one for I me. Know I always has I'm always hesitant when I hear like like Thirteen Reasons Why is doing the exact same thing. Oh, is it really? Uh, which wow. is a show that I absolutely loved, like one of the greatest shows I've ever watched, probably one of the most impactful shows at least. Um, but like, I mean, I just feel like wherever they're going to go in the second season is going to be really contrived um, because it doesn't have that source material and because it's just such a powerful standalone story. But, and I think you could say the same about Big Little Lies to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, we'll leave it at that because we obviously can't really speculate on what that second season yes. is going to be about. But nevertheless, it was a strong first season from the show. And I mean, I'll, I'll watch the second season just based off the pure quality of the first one and how much I, I enjoyed watching it. And I, but I am, as you described, a little bit cautious about what might be produced <laughs> by that second right. season. But anyway, let's move on from what you've to what you've been watching recently. What have you been watching uh, outside of the movie theater? Yeah, so I want to talk about another TV series, uh, which I'm sure a lot of you listening have probably been watching. Um, it's it's getting a lot of buzz at the moment, um, and that's Black Mirror on Netflix. Um, of course, this originally started, uh, I believe it originally started as a BBC series created by Charlie Brooker, um, and it is, you know, pitched as the modern-day Twilight Zone. Um is an anthology series every single episode is a different story different characters uh but they all basically have something to do with sort of futuristic technology and the upsides and usually the downsides Uh, they they tend to lean more heavily on the downsides this is a very uh very dark um series um there, there aren't very many cheery episodes with 
couple exceptions, which I will mention uh, briefly. But um, but yeah, and you know, I kind of have a love hate relationship with the show because because it is an anthology series. You know, your opinion really does vary from episode to episode because there are some episodes which are just really compelling and where the story hook and the whatever the technology that they're talking about is you know really grabs you um but then there are other episodes um which i feel um just go a little over the top and one example i'll give is in this um episode from this latest season which is the fourth season um just came out on netflix a little after christmas um and that is the episode archangel um which focuses on really i was interested in the setup of this episode because it really focuses on parents um and basically this monitoring system where parents can keep an eye on their kids at all time, uh, which is certainly something that, um, I think is relevant. Um, you know, I I think you see a lot more parents, um, buying into something like this, uh, nowadays. Um, I mean, Hey, my mom tracks me on, uh, Apple find friends. Um, so (laughs) I, I, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I won't say I know firsthand what the character's going through in Archangel because it takes it to a much greater extent. Um, and you know, I was, I went with this episode for a long time, but I think that the reason I didn't, didn't vibe with it in the end is that it just takes the, the negative consequences of this potential technology and just ratchets them up to sort of ridiculous levels. And really the way that this story ends up getting resolved is not believable at all. I mean, I understand that that this technology would have some negative consequences, but the way that it goes with that is, is, is way too far fetched for me. Um, but at the same time, I think this new series has some of the strongest episodes in black mirror. Um, the first episode was a star Trek parody called, um, USS Callister, I think is great. Um, and I, I love the way that it posts, it pokes fun at some of the really cheesy old aspects of like the old star Trek TV shows. Um, but it also, you know, in contrast to what I was talking about with how so many episodes have a really dark, um, turn to them, um, it, it has sort of a hopeful note at the end, uh, which I really appreciate because all of the darkness can can sort of wear on you when you watch a lot of the show. And the same goes for the other episode, and I should say I've watched the first four episodes. Uh, the other episode, which I really enjoyed from this season that I've watched so far, which is uh, an episode that a lot of people have been talking about more so than any other in this, in this season, and that's Hang the DJ, which is the fourth episode. Um, and the setup is really this dating service um, where you you meet up with your date and you can actually see how long your relationship is going to last um if you choose to that's that's a big element the plot is it's all about both partners really have to choose whether they want to see where their future what like what lies in their future um or if they just want to let it play out um but again this has maybe the the most uh, optimistic hopeful ending um, at the end of it, which I really, like, again, I really appreciate, um, because, you know, it doesn't have to all be darkness and death. Um, and so I, a lot of people have compared it to one of the really high, highly reviewed, maybe the most loved episode in the whole series, which is San Junipero from the last season, which is also a love story like this one. Um, I actually think I even like hanging the DJ a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I think black mirror is a really interesting show. I love, um, just the anthology aspects of it. Um, and, you know, if they can keep coming up with, with great ideas for episodes and great premises, then 
I am willing to go with it and, and stick out, you know, the one or two episodes where, you know, that, that don't connect with me as much like Archangel does. Um, so yeah, definitely worth a watch. For sure. Black Mirror has been a TV show that's been on my to-watch list for a while, but I've always found things to prioritize over it and, and watch that, that have grabbed me maybe more than the idea of it has. But I know for me, I keep meaning to go back and watch it, and I trust that I will at some point. I just don't know how soon it will actually be. Sure, yeah. All right, so I think it's time to kind of pivot to our discussion topic of the week, and Scott, I'll turn it over to you to describe what it's going to be this week. Yeah, so uh, this is kind of a segment we may do regularly, semi-regularly, um, and I, you know, I just kind of inspired by what we did on the show last week when we did our interview, um, and, and we just asked a lot of you know opinion questions about um, sort of our movie backgrounds and what are some movies we love and maybe don't love as much um, in certain areas. Um, so we're you know I'm just gonna I, I came up with a question to discuss for this week, and uh, we're going to each talk about a film which we. Uh, you know, we're offering as an answer to that question. Um, and the question I went with this week um, is, what is a movie that is critically well-received, um, but or is, is not critically well-received, um, but that you still love despite of that? Because I feel like nowadays, every movie that I see and every movie I enjoy is one that is getting rave reviews from critics. Um, but, you know, I don't think that's fully indicative of my movie preferences. You know, I, I'm not a total um, elitist when it comes to... Uh, comes to liking films there are definitely some uh you know less well well received movies that i um that i still have a great fondness for and you can certainly say that about the movie which i'm choosing um as my answer to this question um which i actually watched recently on netflix they just added it to netflix um and this is honestly a movie which i will hold up against any war movie of the last 20 or 30 years um and you know it's, it wasn't critically well-received, but it also wasn't totally panned by critics. It was just sort of, it got sort of very middling, middling reviews, so I don't want to make it sound like critics totally took crap on it, but um, that is the movie Troy, um, directed by Wolfgang Peterson, um, which is, of course, a loose adaptation of Homer's The Iliad. Um, very loose. And it, yes, very loose, but uh, it tells the story of... Uh, the Trojan War, beginning with Paris, the uh, the Trojan prince who um, spirits away uh, Helen, the the beautiful wife of um, Menelaus, the the brother of the Greek king Agamemnon, after these two nations had just made peace, um, and it basically ignites uh, one of the one of the greatest wars that the world has ever known. Um, and so the movie is sort of a dramatization of this, and I I, I absolutely love this movie. Um, it's just, it, it's epic is the word that comes to mind. Um, well, it's supposed to so, be. That's the genre it's in. <laughs> yes, that is true. But it, it definitely lives up to that genre. Um, because I feel like so many war movies, they go on for so long. They're such a slog at a certain point. This movie is just so compelling from scene to scene. Um, and something that I found out about this movie just when I was watching it recently, which shattered me, uh, for lack of a better word, and which makes so much sense, um, now, when I think about it and why I like it so much, um, is that the uh, person who wrote the screenplay for this movie is David Benioff. Um, if you recognize the name, it's oh, yeah. because he's the showrunner for Game of Thrones now. Um, and while I'm not the biggest fan of Game of Thrones, the TV show, I think that this show, this movie has everything 
that made people love Game of Thrones. And I think if it if it were to come out nowadays, like it would be a huge hit. Um, well, I think and, just just to <laughs> kind of jump in here, like this movie yeah. did really well at the box office. It did half a billion at the box office in two thousand four, which is yeah. That's a, I didn't realize that. Um, I just feel like it's not a movie that really gets talked about. Um, that's true. That's nowadays true. not in the same breath as as a lot of other war movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think one of the things which I love, um, about this movie is the incredible cast. Like I I was uh, reminded when watching this movie, how, just how amazing that the cast is from top to bottom. I mean, literally everyone in this movie is a recognizable actor. Um, from, of course, from the top, you have Brad Pitt as Achilles. Um, you have Eric Bana playing Hector, Orlando Bloom as Paris, Diane Kruger playing Helen, I mean, I can go on and on. Brian Cox is Agamemnon. Um, Rose Byrne is Briseis, I think. Yeah, I, that's, even going down to the small roles, you yeah. have Rose Byrne playing Briseis. You have Sean Bean's uh, Odysseus. <laughs> Sean film. Bean plays Odysseus. Yeah, he doesn't have a huge role in the movie, but yeah. um, David Benioff must be a big fan. But um, I mean, you know, all the way down to to Rose Byrne, at um, least Saffron, sh- Saffron Burroughs, who plays Andromache. Um, and then, of course, the great Peter O'Toole playing Priam, who gets. Probably the best scene in this movie, um, and even Roger Ebert, who did, wasn't a fan of Troy, acknowledged the brilliance of this scene, which is after Hector dies, after Hector is kill, killed by Achilles in their one-on-one battle. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, spoilers <laughs> yeah. for a centuries-old war. Um, yep. Uh, and Priam, uh, who is, of course, Hector's father, goes to the... King Tro- Priam. Can- King Priam. To, yes, to, King Priam yep. goes, to the, um, goes to the Greek camp and begs Achilles for Hector's body back. Um, and it's just a beautiful scene. And Peter O'Toole is amazing. And I also love Eric Bana's performance in this movie because I think this is such a... Uh, Hector is such a conflicted character in this movie because he is... He's, he's, he's really the tragic hero of this whole story um, because he gets thrust into this war like by no fault of his own. It's, it's the, totally the fault of his brother... Um, uh, who spirits away Helen and you know there's a big deal in the movie about how Paris isn't a fighter um, yeah, fucking Orlando Bloom man always ruining yeah, things yeah I know he, he, he's not a fighter um, he, he didn't even really fight in the war that much although of course he, he does play one um, very important role in, in the battle at the end of the movie but um, yep. but so Hector is kind of like I said he's kind of the tragic hero because he gets thrust into this war and basically ends up as the Greek as the Trojan's strongest warrior eventually ends up having to fight Achilles which is you know as, as strong of a warrior as Hector was it was never a battle that he was going to be able to win um, so uh, I think and I think Eric Bana just does um, a great job um, with his performance in this movie and just um, playing sort of the hopelessness and the conflict um, that, that are within Hector. So, yeah, I think that this is um, and, and it's just a, an amazing movie from beginning to end. And I love the action scenes, too. There's a, there's a very memorable moment where uh, Achilles throws his spear about 400 yards and hits some guy off of a horse, which is it gets me every time. It's just awesome. Um, That's what you get with demigods. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I like I said, I will stand by this movie. Um even though you know maybe it doesn't follow that closely to the Iliad, um, I mean, it, does, it does. It does a good enough job. Yes, I, 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 I'm a huge fan of this movie, and I will watch it anytime it's on. Did you watch the director's cut, or did you watch the uh, the like theatrical version? I think 
think at some point I've seen the director's cut just because I've seen it a lot of times. Well, did you, I have to ask just to just to mess with you for a moment? Like, did you watch it in parts? Because this is a long movie. It is a really long movie, but no, that's that's again, like I was saying, I think that this movie, it it because it tells such a a story that spans so long, um, it's compelling because there's always new things happening. You know, you you, right. know, you have the the first parts of the war you know have the beginning of this war and that moves into the hector and achilles clash which moves into um the you know the the final battle um and and which so there's always you know something interesting happen you know of course the trojan horse um the whole plot involving that um you really do feel like you're watching the entire war unravel um but it's it's always compelling to me and and so yeah it's a movie that i will sit down and watch even though it is three hours yeah, well, I think that's a good pick. It's been a really long time since I've seen Troy. I don't really know if I can add anything of value to that conversation because you've done such yeah, a good well, job. Yeah, you gotta go back and watch it. Yeah, you know, it's as you said, it's on Netflix, so that that's actually that makes yeah, it more exactly. likely that I will go back and watch it again. So, for sure. Well, I think that's. I think you did a great job, kind of kind of explaining why you like it. I looked up its reviews uh, just for context. It, it, you're right; it got middling, average reviews. It has a, I believe, 54 on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that's uh, about what I expected. Yeah, it has, yeah, 54% on Rotten Tomatoes, but a 56 on Metacritic, so that kind of 54% Rotten Tomatoes score plays out pretty similarly, which it often doesn't with Metacritic, just because of the way the rating system work on each web- website. Yes. So, my film, you know, I went back and forth, we texted back and forth, and you told me what the discussion topic was going to be for this week, about what film I would choose, and I've actually gone back about against what I've said. Uh, I am going to, I'm going to do it. And I'm gonna sit here and defend Batman versus Superman as a movie. Okay. I mean, I've never seen it, so I can't. I can't stand against you on this. But yeah. a lot of people would. Oh yes, a lot of people would. I, I okay. I will start this conversation by saying that the discussion topic is a movie that you love that is not critically well reviewed. And I'm not going to sit here and defend it that it's a well made movie or that like it deserves like award nominations. Kind of like how you kind of defended Troy. I think you said it, it was a better movie than it got reviewed. From your yes. perspective, I do think it is better than than the complaints that it is often that are often leveled at it. Uh, even even though Zack Snyder, I think, has fallen off a little bit in the train of good directors. If you ever okay. thought that he was a good director, I mean, he was well received for Three Hundred. But anyway, yeah, Batman vs Superman, directed by Zack Snyder, came out, I believe, twenty sixteen. Yes, twenty sixteen. Uh, around actually on my birthday, I remember it, it came out on my birthday. I didn't see it on my birthday, but it came out on my birthday. And I really, really enjoyed the ultimate edition of this film. It really fills in some of the holes of the theatrical release. Isn't it like three and a half hours or something? The the the, the uncut version? Yes. No, it's like it's only like three hours, I think. Okay. I, you might have That's to still really long. Might have to fact check me on that. But the like yeah. the theatrical release was two and a half hours, and I think the right. ultimate edition was three. I, I'm not a fan. I will go through quickly the things I don't like because then I will talk about things that I do. But I don't like the the another version of Bruce Wayne's parents dying that I think I've seen like fifty thousand times now. Like the opening uh, scene, yeah. the opening scene for me is 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 again the the Batman origin story, like a really brief version of the Batman origin story. Exactly, and I will say just quickly that that was one of the reasons why I really enjoyed Spider-Man: Homecoming because it didn't fool with the origin story that we all know. Yeah, I mean, Civil War covers the origin story to some extent. Yes. For Spider-Man to lead into that film to make it to make it justifiable that they haven't really explained the yeah. the background at all, but that's that's another conversation. 
And yeah, so and I didn't. <laughs> there are scenes that I will brutally make fun of, including, uh, well, we'll go a little bit spoilers here, but including the scene where he's like going about about to kill Superman. Yeah, I've I've never seen the movie, but I've even seen that scene because people talk about how bad it is. Yeah, and he's like, and the whole Martha thing because both their parents are named Martha. That that scene's not great. And the line, which I think one of the, might be one of the worst lines in film history, which is, do you bleed? You will, from the middle of the movie, which is a really terrible line. But besides that, like I, I actually really like Ben Affleck's performance as Batman. I really like Henry Cavill as Superman. Like These are two really strong performances. I'm always a fan of Amy Adams. Like, like Amy Adams, I will watch anything she's in. I know I, jo- I joked earlier about Idris Elba. I, I can't say that I would watch anything that he's in, but I will watch anything that Amy Adams is in. And she yeah, does a really Nocturnal sh- Animals, one of my favorites from last year. Oh, Nocturnal Animals was so good. Side note, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it, didn't, it didn't get as watched as it should have been, in my opinion. I don't think it made that much at the box office, but that is a really strong movie, and she's been yes. in some real bangers uh, already in her career, including yes. um, Arrival, which is also another one of my favorite yes, films very from, good as from well. 2016. And... Well, that was 2016 or 2017? I'm No, it was 2016. That was last year, yeah. Oh, it was last year? Arrival no, was last year? I'm sorry, 2016. Yeah. I forget it's 2018. <laughs> right, right. So I think I think its cast is incredibly strong. I think the majority of their performance is really strong. Well, Jesse Eisenberg is Lex Luthor. He's a very different take on Lex Luthor than I think has been than, than he's been given in the past. But I, I, I dug it. I know a lot of like legacy DC fans weren't huge fans of Jesse Eisenberg as that. Like Mark, like I think that he played Mark Zuckerberg, right? Or Am yeah, I, he did. Yeah, yeah. So that, I think a lot of people didn't didn't dig didn't dig Mark Zuckerberg as Lex Luthor. Yeah. But uh, but I I really dug I really dug his performance. I thought um, is it? Oh, I'm now forgetting her name. I think the lady who plays the senator in in the film, who uh, Holly Hunter, right? Holly Hunter. Oh she, yeah, she's great. Yeah, she only she only had a small role in the film. But she was really strong. Like there, there are so many across the board good performances yeah, in my opinion. She was the the mom in the big sick, right? Yeah. Yeah, she was the mom in the big sick. So she's, I mean, she's a really strong supporting actress yeah. in my opinion. She was, she puts in a lot of really quality roles. I think all of almost all of the acting roles are really strong in this film. I think that when the acting roles aren't strong is when they're let down by the screenplay and the direction of Zack Snyder. And, you know, a lot of people rightfully complain about Doomsday as kind of like shooed in in the last 25, 30 minutes in this film, which I think is a justifiable complaint, kind of comes out of nowhere uh, in terms of the build-up to it. I mean, we know what Jess, Jesse Eisenberg, Jesse Eisenberg's character, Lex Luthor, is trying to, is like trying to do something crazy, but then we it kind of comes, like the whole Doomsday plotline kind of comes out of nowhere, and I think that's a fair critique as well. However, I find the highlight of this film for me, which I haven't talked about yet for a reason, is Wonder Woman. Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman is unbelievable in all of her scenes. She's great in Wonder Woman in her standalone film that came out this year. Or sorry, again, we're in 2018, last year, which came out in 2017. And she just owns the screen when she's in it. She There's there's one poster for the movie in particular where like she's in the center of... I mean, the, the imaging is supposed to be the kind of... She's the kind of the, the barrier between Batman and Superman. But for me, like, yes. it makes sense. Like, I also read it a little differently, that, like, Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot is the star, is the best is the best part of this movie. And well, yeah, and that's interesting you say that, because I was recently watching, I think I mentioned the show on last week's um, episode, but the uh, movie fights, and, and the question was about um, 
what was the best scene or best moment of a movie in whatever the year Batman versus Superman came out, I guess 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mark Andreco, one of the panelists, actually said the moment when Wonder Woman first appears in yep. Batman versus Superman, even though he went on to say that he didn't think it was a great movie, he just thought the scene was absolutely amazing. Yeah. And having seen the and really enjoyed the Wonder Woman standalone movie, um, I'm really not surprised to hear that. Yeah, and she's great, and I think that the one piece of, of peripheral that even makes her scenes even better is her, I don't know, you haven't seen this movie, so maybe, I don't, did you see Wonder Woman? Did you see the standalone? I saw Wonder Woman, yes. Okay, well then you've heard her theme then. Like her, the theme that they give her in her scenes when she like goes full Wonder Woman, the jingle. Oh, that, that musically, gives, you mean? Yeah, musically, the sound, like the soundtrack, uh, her theme and the soundtrack. Yeah, I, is, I don't know it in my head but i mean i probably would have heard it yeah I mean, it is so memorable it is so good one thing that the dc universe does better than the marvel universe is giving their 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 stars their superheroes memorable soundtrack themes that go along with their character marvel doesn't do a very good job with that at all in my opinion and that's something that dc does well and the best example of that is wonder woman so that's me gushing about batman versus superman i also don't think the plot is as bad as a lot of people i mean a lot of people really rip into the plot narrative of this movie I don't think it's as bad. I'm not going to sit here and defend that because I, I don't think it's great, but it's not bad, as bad as people say it is. But that's what I like about uh, Batman vs. Superman. Justice League's another conversation. I don't think that's a very good movie. But Batman vs. Superman is one that I really enjoy, and I've watched more times than I'd probably like to admit to people who are cr- critics of this <laughs> film. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I may see it somewhere down the line. I think just Man of Steel, just how horrible that movie was to me, yeah. um, really soured me on, you know, the whole Superman yeah. and and Batman. I mean, especially how good Christopher Nolan's Batman movies were, too. It's going to take some time, I feel like, before I can see someone else's Batman. You, you know, I think, I think that's totally fair, and I think a lot of people are really skeptical of Ben Affleck coming into the role. But I think Ben Affleck does a really good job. He doesn't, he doesn't try I mean, I like to ben emulate... Affleck. Yeah, he doesn't try to emulate Christian Bale's Batman, which is a good thing because Christian Bale's the best version of that of that kind of Batman. But Ben Affleck's version of Batman is very strong, in my opinion. Yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't t- talk about hockey masks. I'm not wearing a hockey mask. No, he 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 does do a a, a raspy voice. That's different. Yeah. well, not raspy, a deeper voice than his normal talking voice when he's Batman. But that doesn't take away from the. The film, sure, yeah. in my opinion, and, and actually, I think he uses a voice modulator anyway, so it's not like he like manually adjusts his voice. Yeah, but that's Batman vs Superman. I'll defend it. I'll defend it. I'll I'll and I'll take up the cause. Right to defend it. Sure, maybe maybe I can get you to watch. Maybe you should come over next time I'm uh, next time I'm back in Chattanooga and, and watch it with me. Something like that. I'll consider it. <laughs> There's, I mean, we could probably come up with better ways to spend three hours, but but nevertheless, I'll consider. It. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so. I think we're kind of entering wrap-up phase on this on this great first episode. I will say there's one other thing that I wanted to discuss before we do close things out, and that is a, a news story that well, it's not even really a news story, but just kind of a fact that that came across my Twitter feed today that I, I tweet I texted you about that I wanted to talk about, and that is the success of the new Jumanji movie, which blows my mind. I you know I haven't been yeah. following the, this movie. I, I saw the trailer short plenty of times in the fall when I was in, when I was in theaters, and I was just like, "Oh, cool! I don't care about this film," and yet it's done really well. I you said I didn't know this because I haven't looked at the critical reviews of it, but you said it's actually been reviewed okay and slash decently well. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I was looking into it a little a little bit after um, 
after you, you you know you you sent me the stats on this um but yeah it's it's at in the 70s i think maybe on rotten tomatoes i think maybe it's at like a 58 on metacritic which isn't totally positive but still um you know i don't want to disparage any of the actors in this movie but given the cast um i'm a little surprised just because the average rotten tomatoes score of movie starring dwayne johnson jack black and kevin hart cannot be very high and nick jonas Um, nick jonas is in this film nick jonas yes nick jonas as well um however one thing i did notice which uh, i think may add to its success in addition to the fact that you know the original is kind of a cult classic um is that the writer of this movie is um chris mckenna um who among this uh, along with this movie also wrote spider-man homecoming and the lego batman movie last year Mm -hmm. which are two movies which like jumanji on the surface you may look at and say well i don't really know how good this is going to be but which were both absolute blasts um yeah and he's also he's also writing the the sequel to ant-man ant-man and the wasp which is coming out later this year he's also the writer for that yeah so he's really making a name for himself though and i mean you know I don't know if it. I really, I really want to run out and see Jumanji just because, especially Kevin Hart. I'm not a huge fan of, um, but a lot of audiences are obviously responding to it. And um, if it's your thing, then I'm guessing you're gonna love it. Yeah, I, I looked at the critical reviews while you're talking. It's 76 on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. 58 on Metacritic. So about the same on a met, in terms of Metacritic, the same score as Troy, pretty much. Oh gosh! But uh, Don't say that. <laughs> well, better, better actually, two points better than Troy. But it does have a much stronger Rotten Tomatoes, and again, it's just because of the way the rating system works is how those scores yeah. differ. But yeah, I mean, so to to give a little context, we kind of buried the lead a little bit because we actually actually said what the statistics are. So oh yeah, my bad. No, no, it's my fault. I should I should have said it. But so worldwide, this movie has made seven hundred sixty eight million dollars so far. It's still in theaters too. It's still showing, so you can still go see it. So it is approaching. So it's it's now past. Three quarters of a billion dollars. This film, and particularly from the production perspective. So for Sony, who's the backer of the film, um, Columbia Pictures, I think is one of the production companies, uh, but it's distributed by Sony Entertainment. It is the highest-grossing Sony film outside of the Spider-Man series, and that is just insane to me. Yeah. Like I don't know what else Sony has distributed. I guess re- besides Spider-Man. But sure. there have to be movies that deserve to be higher up on the revenue list than J- this Jumanji sequel. Yeah, I'd be interested to know what else Jumanji has passed. I think, you know, I think the star power does help out with it some, because even though I'm not the biggest fan of Dwayne Johnson, Jack Black, Kevin Hart, obviously if you're a fan of big screen comedies, these are three names which are going to get you to any movie pretty much. Yeah, sir. So, so one of the examples that it's passed, at least in the U.S. box office, is Skyfall. Wow. Yeah. That is shocking. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's pretty, it's pretty insane to me. Well, we don't have to dwell too much on that, but that's a, that's a yeah. news story that came across my Twitter feed that I was just floored by today and really wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think we're ready to wrap up this first episode. It's been a real pleasure doing this. Scott, do you have any parting thoughts to leave us with today? Uh, go see I, Tanya. I think that's a good one. Uh, I I I, th- I have the same. If you if you can only watch one movie this week and you are trying to decide between Molly's Game and Itania, definitely see Itania. I think you should also see Itania over some other movies that are out right now, including yeah. Jumanji. So <laughs> go out and see Itania for sure. So Scott, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I am at Scarby Dent on Twitter. S C A R V E Y D E N T. And please follow me for all my thoughts on mostly sports, but other things as well. So please rate and review us. 
subscribe and share. We are live on Apple Podcasts. That way we can continue to reach a broader audience. More people can listen to our movie chat. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to us talk about movies. And we'll be back in a few weeks with some more movie chat. But until then, we hope you have a great day. Bye, everybody.